Hey everybody, I want to talk about a product and platform that I absolutely love and our latest sponsor, Interseller, the prospecting and outreach platform of choice for recruiters and sellers. Whether you're doubling down on business development or recruiting talent, Interseller does all the heavy lifting of finding contact data, automating the email and follow-up process, and syncs all that rich data into 20-plus CRM and ATS platforms. Reach out now and get going on a two-week free trial and let them know you heard about it from Adam on the podcast today. Check out the link on the website. Appreciate it. Welcome to the podcast, where we introduce you to incredible humans who share their journeys with the mission to inspire you to harness your own inner tenacity to drive your life and career forward. And now, your host, Adam Posner. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast where I bring the best and the brightest in the world of business, marketing, and tequila to help you harness your own inner tenacity and drive your career forward. My guest today on the podcast is Joe Marchese, founder of Human Ventures and the chairman of Como's Brand Group. Joe has a really interesting resume with a deep history in the ad industry and marketing, and he created his first startup, Truex, in 2006, which he later sold to Fox Networks for a whopping $200 million. Nice job, bro. And besides for being an expert and thought leader in the attention economy, Joe is also a prominent and socially driven investor through Human Ventures. And Human Ventures focuses on investment strategy on a broad range of essential human needs, from health and wellness to innovations in the workplace, and from how we connect as communities to exploring transformational changes in how and where we spend our time. And Joe's got a whole lot more on his resume that I want to cover. And so let's get into it. Joe, welcome to the podcast. Well, awesome. Good stuff. So before we jump in here, I think it's kind of cool to share. People ask me all the time, Joe, they're like, how do you get your guests on the show? How do you connect with people? And it's really simple. I reached out to you on LinkedIn. I reached out to connect. I said, hey, Joe, uh, we found the Comos Tequila. We're huge fans of the product. I'd love to chat and and tell you a little bit more about my show and learn about your journey. You and I had a chat, and that's what leads us here today. Yeah, no, it, uh, it, was, it was a great outreach, I will say, that uh, you did um, pique my interest by uh, pointing out that you'd gotten Como Skill and like, the product. I, that I, I get a lot of cold outreach on LinkedIn, and that was, uh, that was a <laughs> I appreciate that. And we're going to get to the Como story in a little bit, but I, I need to fangirl for a moment on the tequila, which if anybody's watching this on the video replay, um, it's behind, uh, is that your left shoulder, I guess, at this point? Or is that your, your yeah, it's your left shoulder over there. And the yep. uh, Rosada uh, Reposado, which is the pink bottle there. Mm-hmm. So aside from being the quality being incredible, the, the bottles are fantastic. And we're actually turning ours into a planter, in, into, a, into a vase. I nice. broke my wife's vase yeah. the other day and I'm like, I got one. We're good. <laughs> they, they they are designed to be kept that's a part of the point with the uh, yeah and that and, and you can use them for for pretty much anything you want i mean it's a beautiful vessel and we'll get to that in a minute and we'll link everybody up because you got to try this stuff so um i know you got a ton of interesting assessments and point of views on the attention economy tequila and everything in between but i think it's important that we hit the rewind button and and dig into your story is it true that your first job you were chucky at chucky e. cheese <laughs> that was not my first job, but it, it was the uh, it was the first time I worked at a mouse based company. Uh, I was a system manager. Many years later, I uh, I had a mouse on my my check after Disney bought a large chunk of Fox, even though I never had worked at the company. So, so I seem to have a recurring theme somewhere in my career uh, I, that I have a trouble with mouse based authority. <laughs> so, but I um 
I was actually the mouse. It, I, I remember I went to go work at Chuck E. Cheese because it was newly opening. And, you know, I was 16 and I, I realized I could become an assistant manager because there wouldn't be anyone there with tenure because uh, it was new. So I worked my way into it. But being the assistant manager means that you fill in yeah. and you're, you're, you're Chucky. Uh, Charles Entertainment Cheese. The formal Charles name, the legal name. The, the DBA is Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> no. So I, I can't believe I've never asked this question in 270 episodes. What is the greatest lesson that you've learned while in costume as Chuck E. Cheese? <laughs> <laughs> um, I will say that like, it's actually, you know, um, you see the people in, in the, in the costumes and they make big hand movements, big gestures. And like, it just comes so naturally once you're inside the costume, like, you know, like you just start talking with your hands as if you've been doing it forever. Um, I will say, I will say the most horrifying moment was I wasn't in the costume at the time, but someone was running around with chicken cheese and they tripped and the head fell off. Horrifying. And the, 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 the children had a bit of a, had a, bit of a we, we comped lots a lot of, of pizzas, lots day. of pizzas there. So, okay. So let's, uh, we, 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 we digress, but we also progress with this show, progress with this show. Um, what was, what was really that first, that first job where you started to feel those, those tingling feelings around entrepreneurship and, and business? Were you, you know, doing the old paper boy route? Were you selling candy door to door? Where was it where you kind of had that first spark? I mean, yeah, the paper boy, like, I don't know, in, in school, I don't know if you ever had this, but uh, you had to go, you would go sell wrapped oh, yeah. paper during the holidays. So you go door to door, ring the doorbell, sell wrapped And like, there was a competition for who could sell the most. And I was always, I was, I was always going to try to get there. Um, won a couple of years. It was, you know, sold candy at school. I'd buy like Did a big that. bag of candy and then, you know, sell for a quarter. Like, like, so I guess I always, always was looking at it. like, go back to like doing garage sales at my house. And like, I could never, I always wanted to negotiate like, like what I was going to sell at the garage mm. sale. I remember early negotiations, right? I mean, that's a skill, right? And, and, and not just the art and skill of negotiating, but having the confidence to be able to tell somebody, no, that's not, you know, that's too low. Right. That's, that's, a, that's a hard. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I was, I was so young that I was, I was like, I'd be like, I'd be like, uh, oh, hold on. I'll be right back. And I would just change every five seconds. I'd be changing the price on it. Like, just because I, I thought I was, I thought I knew what I was doing back then, but, uh, no, I, I think it's always been like that. For I me. mean, that's, let's fast forward a little bit. And to my understanding and correct me if I'm wrong here, keep me honest. I think it was only about three or four years into your, into your career before you launched your first company, uh, Truex. Did you always know that you wanted to start a company? Let's kind of break that down a little bit. Well, yes and no. I mean, so really, uh, I, you know, while I was in college, I, I put my schedule in two days a week starting in sophomore year and, and then worked full, like full time the other three days. And I, I, I got that was where, really where I got my start. It was at um, TMP Worldwide, which was then the parent oh, yeah. company, TMP. Monster.com, yep. mm-hmm. Bot Monster. I worked. Yeah, and I worked in this bridge division that was like trying to utilize monsters and the web to do executive recruiting. And so it was kind of in between the two. So I really kind of got got used to and had a front row seat to watching the web eat a larger company. TMP Worldwide had bought Monster, but after long, right. Monster was a much bigger company. Um, and I was in a bridge spot in between. So that was that was very interesting. Mm-hmm. Did that for years. Then started to go to grad school um, thinking... Okay, you know the, the the internet had just collapsed, and and maybe it was time to just go, go take some time at school. But then realized grad school was just the exact same stuff I'd done in undergrad because I'd had a business degree and I was just racking up yeah, tens of thousands of dollars in debt I couldn't afford. 
Um, so dropped out of grad school and went general. We, we actually, it was my, my friend and I, we were, I was bartending in Boston and the furthest place on a map mm-hmm. from Boston was San Diego. So yeah, let's go to the polar opposite location where we are um, right now. Ex- uh, <laughs> it, it, literally like literally and figuratively in terms of lifestyle, where it is on a map, everything. And so when I'd gotten down there, I thought I was going to be a bartender. And you had long flowing locks then, right? Like you're um, but just. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I did have hair at the time. That was how it's. And that's how I met my wife in San Diego. Was because you. the person who cut my hair was the roommate to my <laughs> now wife 14 that's years awesome. later, 15 years later. So, so, so that did happen. But, um, you know, I thought I was going to bartend. Turns out in San Diego, no one quits their bartending job. So there's huh. not new bartending jobs opening up. Fun fact. It's just such a perfect life. Which I'm lucky because I'd probably still be doing that today. You know, surfing and then 70, 74 and sunny every day. and you know, working in the evening. But yeah, then I did, um, did some consulting for a little while. I got I was lucky enough to work uh, with a company called um, Overture, which was Yahoo Search Marketing. They were trying to figure out like what was going on with Google. And I spent some time there. And that was where I, where I kind of got the bug to say, like, if everything's different, there's no one's been an expert for, for you know, kind of like the assistant manager, Chuck E. Cheese thing. No one had been doing digital marketing for 10 years because it right. hadn't existed like for web three right now. So you could be the expert. Yeah. Yep. Um, but it seems like you, you, this whole obsession with the attention economy started pretty early on was like, what was it like working at, at Bainbridge and expose you to that? Is that where it really started to kick in? No, it, it really started back at, at Monster. I mean, look, you know what job boards are? Job, job boards are marketing and trying to move around human capital. Right, J- jumping from one uh, business to another, you're marketing the position, the company. Um, you know, this idea of, of human capital moving around and being being the the most important resource for every company. Like people think about branding as uh, I need to build a brand so I can sell a product, but you need to build a company's brand to attract talent, and money, and capital in it. And like that, that is kind of the, the core of of this idea of like attention being kind of the the um, beginning. Interesting. Were you ever, I have to be careful. I phrase this. We ever, we ever scared to go out on your own and, and create a company or was that always the, uh, the chosen path? And, and, and it's interesting because I think about when I launched my own company NHP talent group six years ago, it was almost like a calling. It was almost like a, like a, like I was drawn to this, like a moth to a flame. I was like, I was done working after 20 years, done working for other people. And I felt the calling that I needed to create something and be my own boss and do it. And it wasn't like I was scared. I was more just excited and and like, all right, let's let's go for this, right? Was there any of that kind of like trepidous feeling? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's always, you know, even even these days when when I, I'm on, you know, I've either helped start or, or invested in around dozens and dozens, you know, of companies. Um, it's always like you always wonder if you're just being just naive enough. I, I mean, it's thir- certainly back then I knew. <laughs> I didn't know what I didn't know. And that's that I think you almost need to do that in order to in order to think you can start a company and like change the world. I mean, I think that there's one book that explains all entrepreneurism and, and it's all anyone needs to read is it's a book called Stone Soup. Uh, it's a it's a children's fable where the you know they, they tell it in a lot of different cultures, but you know, an old uh, let's just say in one one telling of it, you know, a man walks into a town and says he's gonna teach the town to make to make soup from a stone. And everyone laughs and then and spends a whole ton of time finding the perfect stone and then building the perfect fire. And then finally someone pokes their head out and was like, can you really make soup from a stone? He's like, yes, but it'd be better if I had some carrots. And the guy's like, well, I have some carrots hidden. And then someone does it with potatoes and shaves. 
And at the end, the, the moral of the story for children is that like, you know, when everyone works together, everybody eats, right? But like for an entrepreneur, like that guy couldn't make soup from a stone, but what he could do is create a vision that everyone wanted to that's... contribute to, right? And that's like, if you can create a vision that everyone wants to contribute to and say, this is going to be worthwhile for your limited time and resources, for your precious resources, commit it to this and I, I will take us here, right? And so, and there, there's like, a, there's a thin line between, you know, doing that because you truly believe and doing that because, you know, you're, uh, you're projecting, right? And, and that's, and that, that's what I always look for in founders. I love that perspective. I'm going to make sure I find that, uh, that book for my kids and, and I'm teaching them. I mean, it's pretty interesting too. my, my 11 year old daughter, I think she has an entrepreneurial spirit. She's been involved in the web three journey. She minted her first NFTs. I, I take her with me. I want her to, to, to see what daddy does for a living. Mm-hmm. It's kind of hard to explain recruiting. But it's a lot easier to explain my Web three stuff that I do with her. So, so I love it. So we're almost done with the with the um the biographical portion. But I'm curious about this. So, Truex was around for almost ten years before Fox acquired it for two hundred mil, as I said. And I believe you stepped away for a couple of years, 2011, 2013, to work as the SVP over at Fuse Network. You break down those years, and what what was that like? Returning, coming back, and and selling it. Yeah. So, um, so what became Truex had, uh. You know, started as this idea of people were publishers in the MySpace days, mm-hmm. right? Really, Facebook and still profile pages. Um, and it was yeah, this idea of if people are publishers, why aren't they getting rewarded from advertising? So, could we have self choice advertising? Could we have, you know, people get value in exchange, earn charity points, get farm bill cash, like, like do all the things that, that would get people to opt into advertising? So, that was, that, that, that was part of it. There was a time when like, kind of it got to a point where, um, you know, we brought in an outside CEO. I wasn't interested in kind of being there for, for, for the phase that, that the company was entering at that point. And I had this opportunity to go be basically the CMO and head of digital for a television network, Fuse, mm-hmm. which was owned by Madison Square Garden Company, which gave them two, two things that, that <laughs> were invaluable. Um, it was about two years of getting my PhD in television. I knew how I knew how uh, retrans would work. You know, everyone in everyone in advertising and tech throws stones at TV, but they don't know how it actually works. Like, how do, like how does a thirty second like rating work? Like, like, why? And I just learned it was it was just such an interesting two years. And the music business, obviously, this was kind of where TV meant music, right? As a very small player, like like how it fit into the cable bundle, and so that became, I mean, absolutely invaluable. And so after those two years, taking all that knowledge of how television really worked rather than being an outsider and applying that to all the underlying technology that Truex had developed for years is actually what became that big success. Interesting story. End. Was that when they built the uh, that Fuse uh, studio right across from the garden, right on uh, 7th over there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was interesting. And yep. where, where's Fuse at these right. days? Oh. I don't know. I mean, I think it had sold to Jennifer Lopez, I think at some point and it's sold to, it's gone independent. I don't think it's not with MSG. Hey there, fellow podcast listeners. I'm Kevin Logan Jr., host of the Immutable Mindset Podcast. If you're fascinated by Web3, blockchain, and disruptive technology, then you won't want to miss a show. Join me and co-host Adam Posner as we introduce you to an incredible lineup of successful entrepreneurs, builders, and industry veterans who share their insider knowledge, unique perspectives, and personal stories that will leave you inspired and craving more. Like Mike Isogawa, the CEO of Webacy, who shares her journey from being a Cirque du Soleil performer to a cybersecurity pioneer. Or Dave Schwed, COO of Halborn, who 
who discusses the future of digital asset security and how the future of assets will be tokenized. We also break down complex topics into digestible bits, perfect for both experts and newcomers to the world of Web3. So if you're ready to stay ahead of the curve, subscribe to the Immutable Mindset Podcast now, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. So let's take it to 2015. Uh, Truex gets sold in a deal where you're still going to be heading operations. This is also the year that you launch Human Ventures, correct? Let's let's talk about that inspiration and story because there's there's gold in here. Yeah, well, I think so. For Human, the, the, the inspiration was really New York City is such a unique place. Like like it didn't have a center of gravity the way you know San Francisco tech is a center of gravity and Hollywood you know entertainment is a center of gravity. But, but what New York has is diversity of industry, diversity of people, and that's always what's made it made it the str- uh, as strong as it is. But it was it wasn't exactly as hot in the tech area. But you know, a very close friend of mine, someone who I admire a lot, Heather Hartnett, um, had been doing already been doing investing in the impact side, and you know, we had been building you know, both a relationship and a thesis over the idea that you know if we could you know put humans first in New York and like try to take all, take advantage of all the things that make New York great in terms of the, the types of industries that are here. It's capital for fashion and finance and media. And so like there, there is just a lot of, of energy and resource here. And so when I sold the company to uh, 21st century Fox, I took a good, good amount of the proceeds from that sale. And, and it was Heather's first backer. to start. And for anyone who's, who's not aware, what's, what's the business model? What do you guys invest in? What are the type of founders that you work with? So human ventures. Uh, so the very first, what I backed in the very, very beginning days was a startup studio where founders would come and we'd work with them. We'd give them resources. We'd, we'd help them for equity. network, get to a seed round and then like go a shared resource equity model. Um, Yes, exactly. And then since then, we've you know launched uh, two funds, uh, which are typical venture funds, which still invest early, early stage, so pre-seed, seed, maybe up to an A round, um, but but kind of still sitting with the studio side by side. So we're we're able to build if we if we come across a founder that wants to build in an area that that we're excited about, um, but much more typically. So of the portfolio of seventy something companies now, I'd say only. Five or six are really builds for us. But that would and and what's that common thread? That ethos that all of the the, the founders and companies have. So the the balance we like again why we called it human. Heather and I had a code where we sent an email to the other person said this person's a good human. You had to take the meeting. That, that means that worth was, taking a meeting. Cool. Yeah, and that's kind of where human came. We, we we were actually surprised that like you know it had Pick. been like, like that this idea that humans like I mean tech for so long has been like. You know, can we can we reduce the need for humans? They're so expensive. Or can we, you know, can we can we do all of this with uh, uh, with with just you know some some a garage and a computer and 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 I think that we had believed early on that you know what Heather refers to as the human needs economy is a massive business like like healthcare, future of work, how people are going like, to connect so, in the real so world. This is a, there's a great kind of quick point here. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm curious. I mean, we, if one quick look at LinkedIn and we look at chat GPT, we look at, you know, AI machine learning, um, are the robots going to take over all of our jobs or to your point, what you're saying is like, we still need freaking humans to do this thing. Well, I, I will say I have never been as uh, optimistic or, and scared at the same time yep, as I yep, am right yep, now yep. on the AI mm-hmm. side of things. I mean, 
I am so optimistic that workflows are going to get so much more efficient. Um, but, and I, and I believe that will lead to an abundance uh, in, uh, in the economy. But will that abundance be able to be properly distributed to people? Like, like, like we're going to have to start valuing things of what I call the purpose economy, like things that aren't counted in GDP, but we know are good for society, like elder care, child care, like the volunteerism. I mean, there's just, there, we, we're going to have to figure that out because right now it doesn't, it's, it, it's, it should be scary. I, a, I think, I think also it's a very interesting point here. And I want to go down this rabbit hole a little bit. I think it's time for us to reassess the metrics that we're, that we're, that we're using as, as indicators. And you hit the nail on the head before. The, the aging, you know, boomers, you know, I look at my parents, the, the retirees that are going to skyrocket, um, the, the infrastructure of the healthcare system, elder care. I mean, this is real shit. This is scary. So how do we look to use this yep. new technology to in any way whatsoever, like hire, hire, build, train the younger generation who's going to take care of that older retiring generation. Fascinating. Yeah. Well, the, I mean, it's, and it's interesting because like you could think of it, it could be second order um, effect, meaning we don't need, it's not that AI will help us do some of those things uh, like childcare and, and elder care and, and volunteers, but AI could free us up. So we don't need to do a bunch of monotonous tasks at work, which means if your work More hours time. compressed to this now in your free time, do the things that make you uniquely human. Hence, you know, why we're we kind of like our, um, just, just like, for a fun question here. I, I assume you're playing around with chat GPT for a little bit on your own. Any, any kind of one of those like aha fun moments that you've kind of figured out? <laughs> I don't know if I figured anything out that's that's unique beyond you know everything you see out there, uh, people experimenting with it and testing out. Um, I do think it's a great writing partner. Like it's like you bounce ideas and and, and get things um, uh, polished. Uh, I I do think that like kind of creating original ideas. I mean, you know, look, all creativity is recombining things. Like like, like this is why I think attention is is the most important resources like everything you come mm -hmm. up with is just recombining things that you've seen heard elsewhere and so that is what it's doing and it, and it is a like, like when you when you start to really think about that it's, it's awe-inspiring right there's a balance like, of, of original like people say there's no more original ideas i mean i i disagree i i think that if mm -hmm. right it's kind of like the analogy of being a dj versus a producer right the djs that play other people's music versus the producers right but the good ones are the ones that do both Right. And that's where I try to be with my content. So I want to I want to get back on track. Here. And I have, I have an interesting I, I'm very curious because this is right in your wheelhouse. A lot of the companies that you have, I see a lot of them have co-founders. What's kind of your thought on needing a co-founder versus wanting a co-founder versus, hey, some people stay away from having a co-founder? Um, you know, you look for. Uh, I think co-founders you want to find compliments, which it sounds obvious, but I think sometimes you get a lot of people who have the same strengths that want that end up working together. Um, also, like we look at co-founders, like we were one of the, you know, we, I think about a year ago, we announced that Esther Perel was going to become an advisor to ventures. And she's, she's a world-renowned relationship therapist. And, and why, why do you have that? And it's because like, you know, everything's a relationship, like you and your, your, like your sales relationships. So your BD relationships, your relationships to your employees, but like maybe co-founder might be paramount amongst all of those in terms of it truly mimics a relationship and that you have to be able to communicate. You have to have complementary skill sets. You have to let, you know, there, there's trust involved in having it. 
you know, I've, I've co-founded a number of companies and the thing that makes co-founding relationships most effective is just, just wild, uh, you know, almost unmitigated trust. Wild, unmitigated trust. And I'm going to let that sit for a minute because I have a, I have a call later with my co-founder, Kevin, to discuss the future of our Web3 company with everything going on right now. And, and I think we have that in spades. Um, that's the basis for the relationship is trust. I, I, I know I can hand him the keys to the car and leave for three months and everything will be fine. Mm-hmm. Right. You're not going to scratch it up. Yep. Right. And if you do scratch it up, maybe you'll fix it. Or if it's a good <laughs> reason. Yeah. You'll, you'll, yeah, you'll, get a you'll, you'll, you'll get a fix it. Like, 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 like trust, trust is about like saying, I'm not going to be right a hundred percent of the time, but, but I'll have the right intentions. And then I'm writing it down. wild, that. unmitigated trust. That's for our conversation later, Kevin, right there, writing it down right there. So I want to, I want to, I want to talk about the, the, the Como yeah. story here. Cause again, I am like brand ambassador. Our crew loves it. We, we were down in Florida for our Basel and like we walked for an hour to find the liquor store that had it like, and then they gave, those are, those are heavy, by the way, let's just be honest about these. This is a heavy product and a, and a heavy container. They gave us the flimsiest yeah. bags, Joe, like literally these bags are so flimsy. And I ended up carrying it like, like, uh, like the Heisman trophy. Like wa- walking through Brickell down in Miami, I was carrying it like this, like keeping people out of the way, like dodging people there. Um, how did this product come into your stratosphere? Uh, it, it was the creator um, and so my business partner in that one, Richard Betts, who's the founder. I mean, he is is, is archetype for a great human. Uh, he's just he's incredibly creative. Uh, he um, has just this care of craftsmanship, but is also just universally just this energy that is just a good human. And so, you know, you look at our portfolio, Human Ventures. It's you know, like like I said, now it's over seventy companies. There's only one that's a mm. that's a, that's an alcohol company. And and you're like, well, you know, you can squint and say, hey, it helps us connect, and it's part of the hospitality ecosystem. But really, it was just a great human and master craftsman that we wanted to back. And I, I had known for years before. Um, and so, you know, and both of us would admit, we would have had no idea what it was going to become when we first shook hands. When we, we have pretty big ambitions. We, we didn't think it would be this big. I mean, what is it fast. about the brand that stands out the most in the market? Um, it, okay, well, first the quality of the product, like, so the focus is on, the focus is has on to be. like having amazing tequila and being luxury tequila. I mean, ev- like that's so then that goes to the next point, which is. I tend to think for every industry, if you find a consensus industry, so everybody right. and their brother has a tequila, right? Like that, that seems to be what's coming. So it's a consensus industry that it's a growing industry. But you have a counter consensus approach. And we have a counter consensus approach is like, this is not a celebrity tequila. We do have celebrity investors just like everybody else, but we don't. Right. That's it's not, not Clooney. That's not the story, and, yeah. right? The story is, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think the next part is, that it's just it's just very genuine to what it is. Like it doesn't look like other tequilas. It's not it's not trying to pretend to be something that's not. It's made in in Mexico in the tequila region. All tequilas have to be. Um, it's you know, but it, it has this very kind of global sense to it, which which was different than other tequilas. Every everyone every other one tries to borrow, you know, a heritage to take a story um, theme, and 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 that's just not like like. So we were much more authentic, genuine, and really, again, Richard's the, the genius behind it, but like been working in mexico for 20 years built a built a mezcal before called sombra it's now owned by um the diageo group the davos acquisition so he he, he grew up on the border yeah, of Tucson. it's authentic now. it's I mean, authentic like, just like 
it just, it just maybe it's an authentic story. It's not. It's not a carpetbagger coming into Mexico, and all of a sudden you have like a, a hip hopper or a celebrity right. out there that's like, "Oh my god, look, I got a tequila brand," and like they're hawking it all over the place, right? And I'm not listen. The the rocks tequila is is not bad. It, it's a good product. And no, he, no, no, no. <laughs> look, by the way, and the thing the thing that everyone gets wrong with like Clooney and his tequila or Ryan Reynolds and his gin is and and then the rock come on is that like. Those are the exceptions that prove the rule. No. Those aren't like going to be the new rule, right? Like that's a, it's an immense amount of work and an immense amount of hustle that has to go into it. You can't, can't just slap your name on it and call like, it a day and make like, your money. You can't, right? And because like because like it's it's the logistics of the business. It's it's you know it's it's retail. It's a physical product that has to be in in the world, right? And so the worst thing you can do, you know, there, there's an old saying that like nothing. Nothing kills a bad product <laughs> faster than good marketing, right? So, like, so if if you can reach everybody through your influence, but like the product is only in you know twenty percent of it's states, dead. or like it just it just it just yeah, I mean, it's, makes it's it hard. and again, it comes down to the quality, and the quality is, is fantastic. Uh, our friends, we are we're tequila snobs, right? There's nothing. I'm straight up with this. There's nothing yeah. worse than bad tequila. Like we all know it, right? Like we all know when you taste yeah. something, you're like, you know, you you kind of you kind of freak the bed on that. Um, yeah. Let's. I want to shift a little bit, and, and Comos is great. Everyone, check it out. We'll link it up in the comments. Find it. Find it at your local retailer. Um, wherever great tequila is sold. Um, a good plug. I always want to do a commercial. Um, founders, this new breed of founders that that I'm seeing popping up in in the Web three space. Where where are you seeing the the good, the bad, and the ugly of these founders popping up in the Web three space? I, I, I don't know that I, I don't have much insight into the web three be, only because where we focus on um, physical real world, we, we also don't have metaverse. We don't, we don't no. have kind of block, blockchain and virtual here, but we do, like, I, I, I have seen kind of companies in our, in our space that have kind of an overlap with the web three where, where they figured out like what their, what their real, what their real world applications are, which, which kind of is how we, how we apply to human. Um, but I don't know that I, I don't know that I'd be the expert on on kind of founder architecture. Yeah, and, and, and that's fair. So that. let me kind of spin it in another way. What are some of these really cool kind of skill sets, right? Because there's there's founders and investors, and investors as founders, and founders and investors there. But what what are you seeing? Kind of these cool um, Swiss Army skills coming out that are really necessary to succeed as a founder who is going to grow and be an operator within their business. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. It is that thing. If you're not going to have a co-founder that's your complement, it's figuring out how to do the the thing that, that you're not comfortable with. Like, like the founders tend to, you want to solve every day. You want to solve some problem every day. You want to move the business forward. And the easiest thing to do are the things you're best at, right? And then other things just kind of fall by the wayside on their own, which is fine if you're in an organization because then the organization, like, it's almost like the muscle adjusts or, or, or um, compensates for for other weaker muscles. Um, and then everything balances out. But when you're at the top of the organization and you do that, you basically sway the entire direction of the organization. So like figuring out how to get, you know, I heard someone say it, like doing the hard thing is what strategy is. Like it's, it's like um, figuring out how to do that at the top or have a counter counterbalance and co-founder is, is just this unbelievable skill set. And I also think the market we're moving into right now, understanding that like every CEO is, or founder is both the CMO and head of sales too, and head of product too, until until such time as which there's a full infrastructure running. So like, like know that if, even if you're uncomfortable with mm -hmm. that, that's going to be your job. 
and yeah, that's that's balance. a hard one. Um, is there a world where technology and philanthropy start to have more of a harmonious relationship? And what needs to happen to to really spark that shift? I think this is critical to the human ventures uh, plight. Yeah, no, it's a it's a it's a great question. I mean, part of it is what I talked about before with the purpose economy. Like, how do we value the things that that are good for humanity but might not be counted in GDP? The other thing is that you know we we did an investment in a company called Groundswell which basically takes corporate philanthropy and makes it an employee benefit. And how that works is, you know, corporations are one of the largest donors to nonprofits in the world, but it's very hard, or if not they, it's very hard for them to give money away to particular causes because, you know, Mm -hmm. their employee bases have very different priorities than, than, you know, the typical white male executives that, that, that lead the, uh, these giant companies. And even if, you know, you're, you're doing something that is very good. And like by 80% of your workforce, there's still 20% who, you know, would prefer to give. So what we did is, and this is the kind of brainchild of Jake Wood, who was the founder of Team Rubicon, a large veterans nonprofit, veteran-led nonprofit um, mm-hmm. that's been doing amazing work, like retraining veterans mm-hmm. to go out and do disaster relief. But yeah. And, and, and so, you know, his, his insight was, well, what if large corporates would give money to their employees to then give away through basically like 401ks for good, let's call it like, like, like it's it almost as like Venmo for nonprofits. So the employers give the money to the employees, the employees get to give it away. Matching mm-hmm. programs are made more efficient. And it, and that kind of, you know, to use a kind of a web three word, even though it's not, it's not built on the, the blockchain side, it does decentralize giving. So rather than Google giving to the boys and girls club, like Adam right. would give to the local boys and girls club. It's more Pico, actionable. Right. And, and it, it would just, it, it, it makes giving more efficient. It gets the dollars out from the corporates to the places that need it's, it. It's a win-win. And empowers employees. So like that. That's yeah, that's a good example. Good it's, example. It's a win-win. So let's let's bring it home here. And I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, as as someone who's built companies and managed people, the the root of this show four years ago is still in 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 hiring and recruiting and building teams. So what is Joe's go-to interview question to really get to the heart? Because there's always this kind of debate of you know uh, you know hire for character, train for skill, like that kind of thing, which which we could talk about later. I'm not on board with that hundred percent, but how do you, how do you, you know, listen, by the time someone gets to you for any, any interview, they're, they're probably at a, at a pretty relatively high level that you're interviewing them for. H- how do you, how do you ascertain if they are a good human? Like what, what are those kind of questions? Yeah, we're going there. So I guess, yeah. I, 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 so the first the things I look for, well, let me start with, I think almost everybody, could be a great fit for an organization because some they, they have a skill you just have to figure out what which skill that is and, and how it is and then you just have you have to look for red flags um you know and they, they, the biggest red flags is you know the, the two things that you want to avoid because it's the opposite of trust is insecurity um like they, at any level i'm talking senior executive that all the way down because it means people want to be like mine and and they they need to prove their worth and and it just it gets it gets pretty hard if that's if that's their driving factor or and then the other one is kind of this this um, I look for sentences that that kind of give away a bit of a victim mentality which is and, and that is like you know it, oh it always rains when I want to go out and it's like well no that statistically it does not do that but you've you've now you're you're Self framing the world prophecies, through that right? so I kind of I, I, you know yeah like like looking for people like that kind of like. That, those are my red flags. Beyond that, I think everybody could be of, of an asset in one way or another because they have a unique skill set and and kind of diversity of views 
is what kind of creates strength in an organization. Do you, do you have a go-to things. interview question? Do you have like Joe's top secret go-to interview question? You got to have a patented signature I question, man. And we'll say everyone has a signature question. <laughs> I, I like, I like asking just very simple questions to see. I look for a little mental plasticity and like kind of like, just like that has nothing to do with the role. I mean, I did ask a very fun, fun question of he's now the CFO of almost by the time he's just coming in to be an analyst at human ventures. And I just said, well, what's the first thing you do if you want to start a tequila company? And this person knew nothing about tequila, like neither did I at the time. And it's just like, just thinking, just watching someone think through, well, I guess first I'd have to find out how, you know, where it's going to be. And then I, I guess I need to name, you know, Thought process. kind of, kind of an interesting. Yeah. I think the, the, the critical thing here. So, so yeah. let's, let's bring it home here. And this show is my masterclass. I get to interview incredible uh, business leaders like yourself. Joe, what's the single greatest piece of advice that you've ever received that you take action on daily? Could be a mantra when you wake up, you, you stretch your oh, arms to get man. out of bed and you say this to yourself in your head or out loud. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I guess it was, I mean, it's kind of back to the, the other side of that. Um, the, the opposite of the victim mentality where like everything's going to be bad. Like, yeah, if you ever read the, the, the Tao, the Tao of Pooh, like Winnie the Pooh and, and like, there's this, there's this part where it's like, it kind of teaches Taoism through, through the story of Winnie the Pooh and like all the characters. It's a great audio book to listen to. I highly recommend it um, because it's kind of fun to listen to. But um, Piglet has this kind of saying, it's like, like when he gets everybody thinks, what wonderful things are going to happen to me today, right? And like this kind of this idea of like starting every day with, with being excited for the day, um, no matter what's going on. I don't, I can't say I take that all the time. I, you know, I just have some stress or anxiety or, you know, Oh man, there's just too much, and I'm not keeping up as everyone else. But when I, whenever I can, as as often as possible, be excited for what's next. I love I it, man. And, and last but not least, you know, you look back on on your life and your career, and listen, hasn't been all sunshine and rainbows. And we didn't go too deep into 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 that part of it. I'm, I'm I felt positive this point. Let's keep it on the positive. But there were those times when you really had yeah. to dig down deep inside yeah. and harness that inner tenacity to drive you forward. And on the flip side of it, you're sitting here, great view coming down Lower Manhattan building an incredible company that does good for the world, hiring, building, and, and companies of good people, and you want to show gratitude. Joe, what is your compass in life? What keeps you centered? What is your North Star? Uh, I mean, I, I think it's, uh, well, one, it's it's my my 15-year-old puggle that is, uh, my, my wife and I joke, she's the heart outside our body, uh, but like, it just come home. Dogs, dogs just in general, man, they are just, they are happiness. They, we like, you know, there's a saying like, mm -hmm. we don't deserve them. They're just, they're too good. But, um, I think the work in non like nonprofit and storytelling and like this idea of like how stories can change the world, um, is, and how, and how everything is kind of, you know, stories. And, and so I think that's where it comes from. I, I just like being helpful to people and, and I, I like watching my network connect with each other but, and then not needing me to be the one making the connection. So, I think that's that is I love it, man. And Joe, I want to thank you so much for your time and sharing your wisdom with everybody. I want everyone to check out human.bc. Where else could folks find you? Where could they connect with you? Where could they learn more? Uh, I'm on Twitter and just at Joe Marchese or on LinkedIn. Find, uh, connect, find check other. out Comos. It's the goods, people. Joe, I want to thank you so much for joining me. I want to thank everybody for listening. If you like this show, sharing means caring. Leave a review, a rating. It goes a long way. Remember, you can find out everything at the podcast.com past episodes, subscribe, link, and share. Remember, take care of each other, look out for one another, and catch us next week for another great episode of the podcast. Take care, everybody.
wisdom is forever. But for us, it's time to go. Thank you for joining us. Luckily, we'll be back with our next episode soon, jam-packed with more incredible humans. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and sharing. To join the conversation, search The Pausecast on LinkedIn. And to catch up on past episodes and more info, please visit www.thepausecast.com. <laughs>